Hey guys, if you really like this episode, please support our podcast by going to talkmurder.com slash join and becoming a Talko Supremo. Hey John, can you please cover the story of the servant girl annihilator for me? It's similar to the Axeman in New Orleans case, and I think you'll find it deeply intriguing. Sure thing, Cassie. Ah, uh, here we go. A ghastly murder. A stark discovery in the beating heart of Texas. The blood of these butchered and mangled women cry to the heavens for justice. Survivors lie in wait, begging that their death come quickly. Spared the beastly and brutal endeavors of this midnight fiend. This midnight assassin. guys that was the very lovely jane powell performing deep in the heart of texas now that's in her 1951 musical rich young and pretty so yeah we are going to texas so rope them up cowboy let's get this thing going so the hint this evening was servant yes um, we were going to be making cocktails called uh, the... Oh, it fucking went in my <laughs> eye. Fuck. Oh. Okay. It hit me right in the eyeball. Oh, no. Yeah, we were going to be drinking Old Maids, but Nicole is feeling under the weather, so in solidarity, we are not really drinking anything of significance. Well, that's not true. I'm drinking ginger ale, and you guys are drinking some beers, and... Um, yeah, I, I didn't obviously make it to the grocery store today to buy the ingredients for said drink, so apologies. But it was going to be either vodka and gin, fresh limes, mint, and cucumber. cucumber. So it sounded like it was going to be a lovely, refreshing drink. Um, so we'll ha- hopefully we'll have an opportunity to make that another I time. I still have yet to try a mint julep. I've never tried one either, actually. But I would imagine that what rec- was recommended would taste kind of like a... Um, like a Moscow mule type thing or a mojito. I do enjoy mojitos very much. All right. So, Nicole, where are we going? I think we're going to New York and we're going to a super wealthy, like, manor estate where the servant of the house kills a family member. Ooh. I think we're going to Abilama. In the 1960s. How did you get that from Servant? Be- because of the uh, civil rights era. Like The Help type situation? Yeah, like the movie The Help. Okay, I don't know. I've never seen it. but Oh, it's a good movie. All right, Nicole, our third place Geography B. Yes? Please fill in the blanks of this quote. In blank, we practically come out of the womb in jeans. What? He's asking you for a place. In blank, the state. Oh, oh. <laughs> you didn't get like, that? <laughs> in well, in like, the blank state, okay. we <laughs> practically come out of the womb in jeans. Ooh, where's Levi's? Where are they made? 
You want me to tell you who said that? I'm going to... No, no, I'll take a fair guess. I'm going to say Texas. Okay, that was from Kelly Clarkson. And oh, she's from Texas. The quote, oh, yeah, of course. In Texas, we practically come out of the womb in jeans. <gasps> Sweet. All right, so tonight we are going to Christmas Eve 1885. Ooh. Ooh, an oldie. And this is a request from Cassie, C-A-S-S-I-E. Hey, Cassie. Hey, Cassie. Oh, also, I forgot to mention um, last week when we were recording that on the night of our live show was our friend Sarah's birthday, one of our Tacos Supremo. So happy birthday, Sarah Belated. Happy birthday, Sarah. Alrighty, and as always, we're very excited to welcome our newest Taco Supremos. Welcome to Rhiannon. Hey. hey. Laura. Hey, Laura. Hey, Laura. Wales. Laura from oh, Wales. Yeah. Hello, Laura. You know, there's some whales um, that are coming toward the East Coast. <laughs> kind there of are. Whales. There's like big... Great white whales or whatever. Did you see that on the news clip? I did not. Great but white you know whales? whales? Yeah. Are you talking about sharks? No, like whales. They're coming at the, even there's, in Charleston. There's no such thing as great white whales. Well, they've been spotted That's in, Moby in Dick. Charleston. That's a fake blue whales? I don't know. Big whales. There was, right. There were two spotted that's, in Charleston. Well, I like that's whales. Cool. I think that's cool. Uh, and also to Sandra. Welcome. Hey, Sandra. Hey, Sandra. That's so, awesome. Thanks, friends. Yeah, thanks, guys. And Nicole has graciously poured John and I shots, probably to make us feel as unwell as she does. I wouldn't wish that upon you guys right now. Well, thank you. Surprise shots, surprise shots. We don't know what they are, because they're a surprise. This is like Midori or something. No, Midori is green. Cheers. Cranberry. It was half blackberry, half raspberry. Tasted like mustard. Really? Yeah. How? Did I you think know. it tasted like mustard? Now I do. Thanks, Jen. <laughs> I can taste it now, so thanks a lot for that. Like the brown deli mustard. Really? Yeah. Weird. We're going to December 24th, 1885 in the capital, which is what, Nicole? Of Dallas. Texas. <laughs> no. Our third place geography B. Give it one more guess. Austin. There you go. God, really? You would think that it, Austin's not a very big city in comparison. But that's true. I'll cut that and make you where it's like you said it the first time. All right. I don't care. The clock hits midnight, all right? The clock above City Hall hits midnight. Am I go, I'm going to go into kind of the history of Austin in a little bit. Keep Austin weird. Did you know Whole Foods started in Austin? No, I didn't. Our friend Haley lives in Austin. Hey, Haley. Hey, hey, Haley. <laughs> hey, hey, Haley. <laughs> the clock hits midnight above the city hall in Austin, Texas. It's after midnight, but there's massive parties going on. Well, it's Christmas it's, Eve. Yeah, it's Is it Christmas Eve. Eve going into Christmas? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's parties everywhere. But... Back then, there was no entertainment like TV or anything, so yeah, you could I wonder hear... what parties looked like back then. Well, you could hear you could hear things going on outside of your house. It's not like they were inside listening to the podcast or anything. You know what I'm saying? The sound of a horse gallops at full speed down the street. Wait, yeah, there you go. A night watchman named Alexander Wilkie. Yells at the top of his lungs as he's going through, literally like Paul Revere 
You know how he's like, the, the British, British are yeah. coming. He's yelling at the top of his lungs, quote, a woman has been chopped to pieces. Oh, wow. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The victim, Susan Hancock, she's a 43-year-old socialite. Now, she's the wife of a very prominent carpenter in Austin. Now, Austin is in Boomville right now. It's booming, and I'm going to go into that in a little bit. No, not oil. That's a good guess. Cotton. But I'm going to go into that in a little bit. But to be a prominent carpenter means you're very in with society and you're, I'm, you're that's wealthy. That's interesting. Yeah, because there's a lot of buildings. It's a boom. In fact, uh, Austin is booming right now, too. A lot of people are moving to Austin. It is. It is a booming town. Uh, one reporter said, quote, she was a tender mother and a devoted wife. Alexander Wilkie is riding the horse, yelling his stuff, and he's also saying... It's in the home. So she gets murdered inside her own home. Ooh. So they go inside the home. Now, her home is situated at the south end of downtown. She is on the floor of her living room mm-hmm. and what they called a parlor yep. back then. I don't know if they still call that now, do they? Um, I, Yeah. Some use that term. It's it like depends. a sitting room. Yeah, it depends. I feel like there's a difference between a living room and a parlor. Yeah. There's like the fancy of like, there's like the living room, which some people call dens. And then there's like the parlor, which is a sitting room. It's like when you first walk in the door, it's like a, an area where you, there's usually couches and chairs and stuff like that, but it's not. It seems like a rich person type of thing. It is. Mm, yeah. I was the like, damn, there's an thing. ice cream parlor in her house. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> that is what first comes to mind. Yes. Yeah. Mm. All right. So she's on the floor in her parlor and she's actually laid out on a quilt. Now she has two deep wounds in her head that the, the physician and the police and every, literally all the spectators, the entire town from their parties rushed over. So you've got the entire town in this house. There's a bloody ax laying right beside her. Now, I'm going to go over the autopsy in a second. Now, the, this is an axe attack. Well, the guy writing said she was chopped to pieces. Was he exaggerating a little bit? No, but this is what people first notice. I'm going to get into the autopsy report in a second. All right. She had one blow so deep that it hit her cheekbone. The second blow was between her left ear and eye. And that blow was actually so powerful from the axe that it fragmented her skull and it shot pieces Inside of her brain. She was barely alive, but she was alive. Oh, my God. Yeah, she was alive. I wasn't expecting that. Now, she was also oozing blood from her right ear. And that's really important. That's not because the axe attack. That's something else I'm going to get to later. Her brain was rattled so much. I'm going to get to that later. The doctor quickly gave her several shots of morphine. Her mouth was barely hanging open, so they took a bottle of brandy and they poured it in her mouth to try to get her to swallow it, and she wouldn't swallow it. I guess that was the medicine back then. Well, pretty much. Something on hand to ease her pain. Her eyes were nearly closed, but you could see just the white part of her eyes. Her eyes were rolling back into her head. I mean, she she was about to die. Yeah, she is like in the process of dying right now. All right, let's interview the husband. Who obviously did it. Is that the truth? Oh, well, it's usually the husband. I'm just, I'm just going to say it first. Is that what you think, Jen? I'm refraining from commenting until I have more details. The wife goes Christmas shopping. This is before the murder. I need to go Christmas shopping. The two daughters went to a Christmas party and a neighbor escorted them. They actually returned home at 11 p.m. 
Okay. On Christmas Eve? Yeah, on Christmas Eve. Oh, this way is a to leave hours. it till the last minute, bro. Yeah, yeah. This is like a few, this is about an hour before the murder. The husband and wife goes to bed. They actually shared a piece of cake, what he said. All right. Seems kind of sketchy. And they went to bed in adjoining rooms. So they're not actually sleeping in the same room. Well, they didn't back then, usually. I know. I'm trying to make you think it's the husband. Oh. All right. They, they go to bed in their adjoining rooms around 10 p.m. Now, around midnight, Mr. Hancock, the husband, says he hears a noise. And he walks into the wife's room, and the trunk is open. You know, the bed trunk with, you know, the trunk you put by your bed? Yeah, at the foot of your bed, usually. Yeah. Clothes were scattered everywhere. Blood was on the windowsill of the room. But there was no wife in there. Interior or exterior? Interior. But there was no wife there. Hmm. So his wife was missing when he first went into the room. He follows the trail going outside. There, his wife was laid out in the middle of the yard. He then claims to police that he saw a, quote, shadowy figure jump the fence and run, in which he took a a rock, a heavy rock, and chunked it at him, but he missed, and the guy got away. Huh. Well, a shadowy figure is awfully convenient. (laughs) There you go. Read that, Miss Convenient. By the death of Mrs. Hancock. Oh, I guess she died. By the death of Mrs. Hancock, eight victims are counted of the heartless fiends who prowl around at night, filled only with thoughts of murder and other crimes. The blood of these butchered and mangled women cries to heaven for vengeance. An outraged community calls for the enforcement of law. Determined officers backed by good citizens swear the law shall be enforced. Ooh, so it's like a gang of angry fiends, not friends, fiends. (laughs) That was from the Austin American Standard, 30th December, 1885. Let's get to the autopsy report, shall we? She actually has three head wounds. Now, this is pulled straight from the autopsy report from 1885. Three head wounds, one cutting through the upper part of the left ear, through the soft tissues and and fracturing the squamous, which I looked that up. It's like a thin... Squamous, isn't that a type of skin cell? Yeah, it's a skin cell, yeah, but it's like the thin layer overcoat of your skull. Portion of the left temporal bone for about one inch. One inch gash right in her head. One wound wound was about one inch above and to the left of her left eye, like I said earlier. Making an external wound about one and one half inches long in a horizontal direction. So that wound I told you that cracked her jawbone, the guy that took the axe actually... I don't know if it was the first or second swing, but he like swung it like a damn baseball and it cut her right between the left eye and just basically just shattered her entire jawbone. I mean, with a lot of force. The second hit actually fractured the skull and forced a bunch of skull fragments into the quote from the newspaper, the brain substance. So he hit her hard as shit. Yeah. All right. So she's dead. Let's go on. Austin, Mm -hmm. Texas. I'm going to go through the little history right quick. In 1821, um, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Stephen Austin. No uh, no yeah. wrestling fans? No, I got it, but oh, yeah. I was confused because you said 1821. 1821, Stephen Austin, Stone Cold Stephen Austin. Uh, he founded Austin, Texas. Now, why am I saying this? Because huh. at the time, 
Austin. I didn't know that that had actual <laughs> historical significance. Well, Steve Austin is the name of the wrestler. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, I know. I didn't realize he got it from that. The first thing I want to be done is to get that piece of crap out of my ring. You sit there and you thump your Bible and you say your prayers and it didn't get you anywhere. Talk about your Psalms. Talk about John 3.16. Austin 3.16 says I just whipped your ass. I just thought that was actually his name. I don't it know. is his name. Is what he related? No, he's not related, but it is dad named him Is that, he from apparently. Austin? I don't damn know. I don't I, watch I'm wrestling. Fascinated. We should All look right. it up. Stephen Austin, the not the wrestler, but the guy that's been dead for 200 years. Stephen Austin was granted an empresario, which was a Mexican term for like a land grant. Now, basically, at the time, Texas was owned by Mexico. A little bit about this. The Mexican government gave him a grant to form Austin, Texas, which it was nothing but nothing at the time. Tumbleweeds. Tumbleweeds. Nothing. It was just open, vast nothingness. Okay, so he goes there. And he gets 300 people, 300 families decide to all move there. I'm just going to basically go over this real quick because yeah. it's kind of important. The 300 families move there. Now they start their substance farming, corn, stuff like that, just to live. Then they start cash cropping, growing mm-hmm. corn. Mm-hmm. Now they're making some money. Okay, this is over. Not a, This is not a very long time in between because this murder right here is in 1885. Austin was formed in 1821. That's a very short time frame. Yeah, and this is going to come in play. This is trying to show you how much of a boomtown it was mm-hmm. and why it added to the hysteria of the crimes. Next was cotton. Cotton was huge, just like, you know, in this everywhere in the South. With cotton, you have to have help in picking the cotton, which is why we brought in slavery, mm-hmm. right? But slavery was abolished in 1865, so keep that in mind. From that point, 1821... Till today, it has been nothing but a boomtown. Austin is still growing at an exponential rate. And back then, it was crazy. 300 families once moved there. And now this murder, you have a whole city was built in under 50 years. It was Mm. crazy. All right, anyway. All right, so I said tonight, this story is for our Tacos Primo. Cassie, this is the story of the, quote, Servant Girl Annihilator. That's his moniker. Annihilator? Annihilator. And uh, he's also called the Midnight Assassin, which is the book we're reading from the Midnight Assassin Hmm. by Skip Hollingsworth. So we're going to be reading a little bit from that tonight. This is a crazy story. Now, from December 1884 in Austin, Texas, to New Year's Eve on December 1885, a crazed maniac stalked Austin in moonlit nights and completely only a butchered year? women. For one year, he just butchered the shit out of women. Huh. I wonder what there set was, this guy off. There was this New Year's resolution. The murder I started with was the second to last. That day was the last okay. time he would ever kill. And he actually killed someone, another woman, right after that while everyone was at her house. He's killing someone uh, else. He created a diversion. He would stalk the streets out. Austin with axes, knives, long steel rods, and he would literally rip women apart. Yeah. A, a quote from the New York World said, a killer who gives to history a new story of crime. 
I thought you were going to say a killer who gives zero Fs because sounds like that. The moniker servant girl. So he's targeting servant girls. But this one Not that you slaves. just shared. Uh-huh. The one I just shared was a socialite. So he's targeting servant girls, not slaves. Yeah, because well, in, slavery was banned in 1865. Yeah, but they still had servant girls. So kind of like here in Charleston, when you got you got a house, and then at the back of the house, you got a basically a guest house or a kitchen, what they used to be. Mm. So these servant they're hired girls, help. they're tech, they're like kind of hired help. Yeah, they have a so place they to stay and stuff like that. Well, yeah, they get a place to stay. They get to raise their kids there, and they cook, and they're basically paid slaves. Is what they were. So, in this particular case, aside from the socialite who was killed, that you went over, were they African American females? Uh, yeah, most of them. Hmm. Besides the last one, she was uh, white, and there were attacks on German immigrants too. Interesting. Okay. German and from other countries too that are servant girls. He started with servant girls. All right, one citizen suggested that every woman in Austin be given a large guard dog. Hmm. Another citizen wanted the city lit with arc lamps, which were expensive lights back in the day that completely light up the city and would cost Hmm. a lot of money. A dozen men throughout this entire time, one dozen men were arrested. Three murder trials, three different suspects. No one was convicted ever. Hmm. No one knows who this guy is. He literally... Killed for a year. His last day, he killed two women, and then he just stopped. Okay. Mm, really? But they never caught him. He's never been caught. He's probably still out there today. Well, I think he said by now. Like the jazz man. This is from, that, yeah, like the jazz man, and, but that was 1818, so I doubt that's a connection. No, but, but it's kind of similar how he yeah. would kill in the middle of the night. I was actually thinking, and she's talking about the uh, jazz man in New Orleans. I was actually thinking maybe that was his son. Ooh. <laughs> oh, that would have been a twist. So anyway, go ahead and read this. This is from the book um, The Midnight Assassin by Skip Hollingsworth. As the journalist once wrote, it is a story worthy of Edgar Allan Poe, a multi-layered gothic saga of madness and intrigue, panic and paranoia, beautiful women and baying bloodhounds, and flabbergasting plot twists and sensational courtroom drama. Okay, so this is a uh, newspaper clipping right here that I found from the Austin Standard. The title in huge letters, Bloody Work. A Fearful Midnight Murder on West Pecan, Mystery and Crime, A Color Woman Killed Outright and Her Lover Almost Done For. December 1884 through April 1885 is where I'm taking us right now. Okay. We're going to go over the first murder that he's committed, or she, nobody knows. And this actually happened around December a year prior. So it was a one year, as I said. Now, this is where at the home of Mr. W.K. Hall, he was an insurance man. He lived at 901 West Pecan. So his cook, mm-hmm. his servant girl, she lived out back just like all the other servant girls. And she would cook all day, clean, do laundry. I mean, it was an all-day affair. These servant girls would work Monday through Saturday. Usually they would get Sunday off so they can go to their church. But they would work all day. They'd wake up at 4 a.m. At 8 p.m., they would after the dinner and then cleaning the dishes and then they would and then they would take the scraps from the dinner from what has not been eaten and they mm-hmm. would eat that themselves and they would give it to their young children that's how it worked wow yeah long day so it's basically slavery now molly smith she was only there for about a month she was the family cook 
Now, Walter Spencer was her husband. They were living together. After midnight, very late at night, on December 30th, Walter Spencer, the husband, beats on the front door, okay, of the main house. And Mr. Hall comes to the door, and this is what Walter Spencer says, quote, Mr. Tom, for God's sake, do something to help me. Somebody has nearly killed me. And his entire head was spurting blood everywhere, all down everywhere. He was hit with an axe. Okay. His wife, Molly, was completely gone. They both go outside and kind of survey the area. Now, they did find a trail of blood, quote from the Austin Standard, a distinct trail on the ground leading to her door showed where an inhumane fiend had dragged her. So basically, they saw at night with their gas lamps, they had gas lamps, they saw, and it probably wasn't red because it's at night, but it's like thick It's like a drag mark of blood going all the way out to the shed out back, right? She was completely nude. She, Uh they first saw a nightdress and they knew it was her and she was completely nude. And then they saw her legs and they were, quote, grotesquely bent. Ooh, was she alive when they got to her? No, she was dead. They, They walked into her room. The furniture was all knocked over, blood dripped off one side of the bed and it was... So much blood that it formed a puddle dripping off the bed and forming its own puddle. Wow. A blood-stained axe was on the foot of the bed. There was a bloody handprint on the wall of the door leading to the backyard. Now, there was no fingerprint analysis back in the day. Mm. Now, I did read in one paper where it was becoming known that the fingerprints were unique. And I saw in one paper where they were basically like, someone should, like, you know, make something of this type of thing. You know what I'm saying? Kind of cool. The trail of blood led 50 feet out to the outhouse. Molly Smith laid on her back. Stark dead, a ghastly object to behold. A horrible hole in the side of her head told the tale. The reason she had not been discovered earlier was that she lay immediately behind a small outhouse and no one thought of looking for her there. From the outhouse to the room where she slept was about 50 steps, so the unfortunate victim of the brutal attack had been dragged to the spot where her dead body was found. All the circumstances go to show that the murder was committed in the room where the two were sleeping. So the husband was actually in there sleeping when this happened and he got hit. Molly Smith was on her back. Her head had been nearly split in two and she had been stabbed repeatedly in the chest and her abdomen. Some of the gashes were deep enough to expose her organs. Her legs and arms were also slashed. Blood was everywhere, bright. Red lung blood and nearly black gut blood. Ew. So much blood was around her, filling up the ruts in the alley that she seemed to be floating in a pool of it. Molly Smith had been completely ripped open like a calf at a slaughterhouse. Oh. All right. Now, bloodhounds were used, but they weren't very good bloodhounds, apparently, because all of these murders, they could not pick up any scent whatsoever. Plus, you have all the town folk trampling over everything, confusing everyone. Yeah, not much of a contained crime scene. Now, I do want to take a short little um, a short little sidetrack here because I found something very interesting that you guys would like. When the servant girls die, right, and they're African-American, they get a black undertaker to come carry out the body. A black undertaker in that time wasn't allowed to carry out a white person's body. Okay, that okay. was just the time back then. So, and a really interesting note is... When the black undertaker would get in and see a body, not just Molly Smith, but anybody, 
they would always whisper phrases, kind of like uh, inspiring phrases, sort of like, here you come, my child. Come meet Jesus, my child. Isn't that kind of crazy? That's really, yeah. They were known to do that, yeah. Um, However, Molly Smith, as one newspaper reported, quote, when she was being picked up, quote, the body did not hold together. Oh. So she was literally hacked in pieces. Oh. Her body just like kind of fell apart when he tried to pick her up. The death happened between 10 o'clock and 3 o'clock a.m. on the night of December 30th. And she actually died, cause of death, was a broken skull. That's what the coroner's inquest would say. So this was the first murder. Number one, the husband was there in the room, okay? he It's like he had no plan. He just wanted to get in there and do something. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. He didn't kill the husband. He just basically hit him over the head and then... And he took and her. And took her. Yeah. Stripped so, her naked. And, but we don't know if he did any sort of thing sexually. I believe that the motive was sexual because all the women were either nude or exposed and their organ, quote, organ was exposed. But uh, I don't know why they didn't. Because they can tell if there's semen there. Even though most of the women had husbands that they lived with. I feel like they could have easily saw if she was raped or not. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Maybe. But I saw in no paper where it said for a fact that she was, that these women were sexually assaulted. But it's pretty obvious that they were. Um, Did the survivors have any? No, there's a lot of survivors and no one could tell for sure if it was a black man or a white man. Huh. Okay. Fascinating. Because he would basically sneak in under the cover of darkness, and immediately hit the man, you know, and then immediately start on the woman. So, so in and all he of, would always drag him out to a certain location. So in all, or, or the majority of the time, maybe not all the time, there was a sleeping husband sleeping next to the woman? At first, yeah. And that's why I'm thinking huh. that he was, he didn't know what he was doing. He's just getting into it, so... He didn't study his people well, maybe. Maybe he didn't realize that there was a husband there, you know, until it was too late. Oh, yeah. Maybe he would have selected differently, but he maybe he's just being reckless. Yeah. Well, it is his first time. If it was his first time, then it makes sense. Now, just like in the Savannah case that we did, the Gribble House murders, the same thing. The first suspects would be African-Americans. The newspaper actually referred to them as, quote, bad blacks. Okay, so within this whole story, as I was researching, everyone that was arrested was African-American, even though none of the witnesses could tell if it was a white man or a black man. Okay, and some of the most racist things you've ever heard of. Oh, I'm sure Just like in the Savannah case. Oh, yeah. But since this is the first one, they immediately looked to the husband, but then they were like, well, there's no way he could have almost killed himself. Yeah. I mean, a great cover up, but no. Yeah. And then they looked to a romantic rival relationship with a guy named Lim Brooks. Now, he was accused, but he had an alibi. He was actually at the a ball dancing. Oh. And quote from a newspaper, if he would have committed this crime since he was there to since he was at that ball until four in the morning, he would have had to run at, quote, almost lightning speed to kill Molly and severely beat Spencer. 
The reader is left to draw his own conclusions, he concluded. Whether slain by her lover or some party from the outside, it is yet a mystery that envelops a, as foul a deed as was ever done in Austin. Okay, this is from the Daily, Daily Statesman, if you want to read that. The assumption, at least the assumption among Austin's white citizens, was that the servant quarter invasions, as one reporter called them, were being carried out by black men. Bad blacks, the daily statesman called them, quote, it seems from the sameness of the deviltry that it's constant repetition that there must be regular gang of these brutes who perambulate the city at the small hours of the night to do their unholy work, end quote. In 1885, there were 3,500 black citizens and 20% of them lived in the alley houses or what's called the servant quarters. Okay, so this whole story, these police officers are dragging multiple African-American men in and putting them through basically torture to get them to confess. No one ever does. One man was actually so angry over the women being assaulted and murdered that he proposed that the Austin police, just like they did in Savannah, round up all of the black men in the city and interrogate them all. And beat them and, quote, whip them within an inch of their lives. Oh, that's good. Now, let's fast forward to March 2nd. This is the lavish parade celebrating a the cornerstone for the new state capital. Remember, Austin is the capital. And like I said, it was a booming time. Everyone's coming to Austin right now. Everyone wants to come to Austin because everyone's making so much money with this cotton. They had a lavish parade on March 2nd. They were laying 16,000 pounds of granite cornerstone at the new state capitol. And they invited all of Texas. 3,000 invitations were mailed, and they had 10,000-plus visitors show up. The reason I say that is because it seems like anytime there's a really big event or a lot going on, this guy seems to come out and mm-hmm. do this stuff, which makes me think he may not even have been a Texan to begin with. One week later, a young servant woman woke up to see a man standing over top of her. Now, he stood there and didn't say a word, and then he finally said, your money or your life. Hmm. She was beaten over the head really hard, but the homeowner actually heard screams and the man fled. She lived. Wow. Four nights later, multiple servant girls reported the doorknobs of their servant quarters were violently shook as someone was trying to break in. And in multiple cases, the homeowner came out and started yelling and saw the shadowy figure run. Around this time and after the murder of Molly Smith, the citizens are demanding justice to be done. The police force was very scarce. I think there was only 12 individuals. And from what I read, most of the police weren't even that good. So they actually brought in some vigilantes to kind of night watchmen type of people until things settles, oh. s- settled down. Uh-huh. And things did settle down. Huh. And story's over, right? No. no. For two days after he disbanded that temporary police program on April 27th, so two days later, a man entered a small cabin. Now, this is on West Walnut Street. He grabbed a German servant woman in bed, threw her on the floor, beat her a little bit, and then completely disappeared. And this is after they disbanded, so they think everything is okay. So it makes me think that he knows what's going on in the town as Uh well. Because they probably wouldn't make it I mean, maybe they did because they didn't think about it, but maybe they announced like, yeah, oh, everything's good now. The temporary police program was actually friends 
of like the police and the mayor and stuff like that, just people that wanted to earn an extra $2 a night and basically spend the nights away from their wives. <laughs> mm, well. And most of them ended up in the bar anyway, drinking. Wow. So yeah. To the, the case. The same evening on Mulberry Street, another servant girl, her throat was exposed and a man with a razor was about to slit her throat Ooh. wide open. But he ran when the homeowner came out because she was screaming. She started screaming. Now, he would come and be like, if you scream, I'll kill you type of thing. Some of the servant women just screamed anyway. And since, the, like I said, the homeowner was so close to the house, 50 feet away, he could hear that. Next night, someone hurled a large stone at a servant window cabin. This is what they began to call, quote, rocked the house when someone just throws stones at the house. The next night, now I'm not saying this is the same guy or not, but, you know, who knows? So this happens several times. There's several reports where people would get assaulted, but, you know, not murdered. It's crazy, though, that no one, I mean, I get that it's dark out, but it's crazy that no one could even tell what his skin color was. Yeah, I mean. You know? Well, in some cases, he he wore a white one case, he said he wore like a white hood. I was like, oh, fuck. But it, you know, a huh. lot of cases, he wore like something white over his face, like a oh, big bandana or something. Okay. And one report actually said it looked like he was a white man, but he had painted his face black, like with charcoal or whatever. Oh, oh yeah. interesting. Let's go to May 6th. This is Eliza Shelley, 31-year-old servant girl. She does her chores all day, 4 a.m. to 8 p.m., just like I said. She has two boys, which she would feed them scraps around dinner time. Now, she and both of her children climb into the same bed. Let's fast forward to the next morning around 6 a.m. Dr. Johnson, the homeowner, the one who employed her as a cook, wakes up when his wife heard Eliza's small children screaming, quote, crying and hallooing at a fearful rate. Dr. Johnson returned from the market, spoke to his wife, walked out to the cabin, and he opened the door. In a corner of the room were Eliza's three boys huddled together. On the floor next to the bed, wrapped in a quilted bedspread, was Eliza. Parts of her brain was oozing out of a gaping wound in her right temple. Oh, no. So let me build up the M.O. right quick from the first murder that we did. Police noticed the trunk was open. So they're stealing stuff. Trunk was open, clothes scattered everywhere across the floor. Axe wound to the skull. Now, remember, we did cases like this before. Axes were actually part of the home. So it's not like he was running around the neighborhood with an axe. He would just get the firewood axe right next to the mm-hmm. door. He never brought a murder he weapon never brought, with him. Maybe. Hold on just a second. Because this is a second murder. You can really see him evolving as his killing style. The coroner noticed a very small hole between her eyes that has, it looked like it was made by like a screw, a screwdriver or mm. an iron rod. Oh, no. Now, oh. they'll later kind of figure out that it was an iron rod, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. Oh, no. There were several deep knife wounds all over her body, so he did bring a knife. Hmm. Some of the wounds were four inches deep, which That's is deep. fucking deep. Yeah. yeah. The blade had been plunged all the way into her body and pulled directly out, severing blood vessels, muscle tissue, and cartilage. Mm. Yeah, go ahead. Can I ask a question? Yeah. So as in the newspaper reports, they were saying that it was like a gang. But so far, it looks like we might only be talking about one person. Well, 
What they do you they kind of figured out it was just one person because okay. people would only see one person fleeing. And but, so it kind of got into this hysteria of like, oh my God, there's a gang of people doing this. Yeah. But it really was. Bloodhounds also saw and sniffed a quote, large, broad, barefoot tracks. Okay, so the hmm. killer was barefoot. Now, remember I said that the two sons, actually three sons, were in the bed with her. They all sleep together in the same bed. Mm -hmm. The oldest was a seven-year-old. Now, this is his testimony. He says he was shaken awake in the middle of the night. A man wearing a white rag over his face, two holes cut out for eyes, which kind of made me think of like the clan, right? Yeah. Um, he thought he was white, but he couldn't be sure. He asked the mother where she kept her money, and then he ordered him to put his head under the pillow, which he did, and then he went to sleep. The man actually told him that he was on his way to St. Louis for the next morning to get on the first train, which mm. may have been just something to throw him off. Who knows? So these are three headlines that I pulled from various newspapers about this murder, if you want to read them. Inhabitants of the capital city are again shocked by a blood-curdling murder. A mother butchered in the presence of her children. The foul fiends keep up their wicked work. Another woman cruelly murdered at dead of night by some unknown assassin. Ben on plunder. Another deed of deviltry in the crimson catalog of crime. Wow, that's a long one. Yeah, <laughs> and that long one I put uh, on my notes must be from the Daily Mail because they always do those long ass <laughs> headlines. Yeah, it wasn't, but you know, it's funny. Let's talk about how they how the moniker Servant Girl Annihilator came to be. There was an aspire, aspiring writer that actually sent a letter to his friend in Colorado that said, quote, Austin is fearfully dull except for the frequent raids of the Servant Girl Annihilators who make things lively during the dead hours of the night. So that is where the moniker Servant Girl Annihilator came from. He's also got the moniker The Midnight Assassin. Hmm. I think The Midnight Assassin sounds cooler, but that's just me. The servant girls are just losing their minds. They're all scared. A lot of them yeah. are just moving out of Austin and out of Texas altogether. The ones, a lot of the girls decide to band up and sleep in the same quarters with each other. A lot of the girls would put furniture against the door at night until one uh, elderly black woman did this. She was like 83 or something. Her last name was Tempe. I can't really remember the details, but she had put furniture in front of her door and she had a gas lantern mm -hmm. that was on and it caught fire oh. and she actually burned alive. Oh, oh God, no. that's awful. Yeah, just trying to protect herself from the sky. There was also hoodoo practitioners, kind of like voodoo, but with an H. Huh. Now, this is slave era folk magic we're talking about. They would go and give all these girls this little powder to put right at the, the threshold of their door to keep the evil spirits out because they believe it wasn't an actual man. It was some kind of evil demon, hmm. you know? Mm. So they were all religious back then. Yeah. Even some of these hoodoo practitioners took black cats and put them in a, a big pot, a witch's brew, and boiled them alive. They boiled these black cats alive. Oh, my God. And took the bones of the cats and Ew. made a necklace, and the servant girls would wear the necklaces of the cat bones. Oh, for protection. Well, that's a new one. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to May 22nd. A shoemaker heard a painful moan coming from one of the neighborhood backyards. We're going to talk about Irene Cross right now. Weyerman and the other family members ran outside and found Irene Cross, their 33-year-old black cook, lying on the ground. Her right arm was nearly severed in two. Oh. A long horizontal gash extended halfway around her head, 
from her right eye past her right ear. It looked as if someone had tried to scalp her. Oh. So this is the third murder that we're talking about right now. So let's go quickly through how the M.O. is evolving. Molly Smith, the first one, right? She was just hacked up with an an axe and most likely raped and dragged out. Mm -hmm. The second one, same thing, but that important point of an iron rod or a screwdriver was basically jabbed between her eyes, her left and right eye, into her skull. It reminds me of, um, this is going to sound really bad, cow slaughtering, where they drag the bolt through their... Mm -hmm. So the third mark. So do you see he's experimenting here, trying to see what he yeah, likes? That's um, true. He did What's this. Easiest, maybe? Yeah, and then this one, this last murder that we just talked about with the Irene Cross, he scalps her. So he's like, I'll try this. I've never tried to scalp someone before. So he's like testing different things. It's kind of crazy. Now, blood was gushing from both her mouth and her severed arm. She actually died on May 25th. She actually lived for two days. Hmm. 12-year-old nephew who lived with her saw a shadowy figure coming through the door, and he ordered him not to scream. He couldn't tell if it was a white or black man. He's always shadowy, though. Yeah. Let's talk about some theories from the townsfolk and some of the speculators. What do you guys think a theory is? You think it's just a crazed maniac? Um, Because these guys are very creative. Well, I think it's a racist, maybe it's a racist white man. But what what about the last murder I talked about? He killed that prominent white woman. Maybe the white woman was p- pro African American or something. Okay, treated her treated her servants really well or something. I don't know. All right, one of the theories out there was there were cavemen, not actual like Geico cavemen, mm-hmm. but quote a band of outlaws who lived in caves on the Colorado River and would swoop in at night. Because remember, I said there were teams of detectives and night watchmen who were undercover scouring the streets, and they could never find this guy. So they thought they, these, this guy lived in a cave and would only come out at night. But what's, that's, what's the point of that, then? That's so senseless. I mean, this is pretty senseless murders. I know. Okay, and my favorite theory out there, which is probably correct, was it was a chain gang escaped convicts, right, that had escaped the uh, pre- mm. penitentiary system, mm. whose leader was, quote, infected with a venereal disease from a servant girl, and now he's seeking his revenge. Mm, I like that theory. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> that makes but I, I that have, it does make sense, I though. find it hard to believe, though, that it's meant multiple people. But this theory, after this venereal disease theory came out, I mean, because they're, they're rounding up suspects every time this happens. And by suspects, I mean all the black people in the right. town. They make them pull their pants down and check their genitalia to see if they got some sort of venereal STD. disease, STD or wart or something. Like, this is what how they would do it. That's <laughs> fucking yeah. awful. Which but, is crazy because that's just like a theory. They're, that's not based on anything. Granted, they're rounding up people also just because of their skin color. So yeah. that makes no sense either. I don't think it is necessarily a gang of people, but I think that could be a motive from whoever is committing these crimes. Someone that Especially if it's a if it's a white male, maybe he's from a prominent household, and he was having an affair with his servant girl, and gave him a venereal disease, and that's why. Or maybe the venereal thing doesn't have anything to do with it, and it, it but it could be a still a related to that, and he's just angry because maybe she cheated on him or something. All right, let's kill somebody else. 
All right, Rebecca Ramey. Now, she lives with her 11-year-old daughter, Mary. Now, they were sleeping in the quarters. In fact, the kitchen is what they called it, like all the other women. Now, she was 200 pounds and about 40 years old, so she was kind of big, you know, husky. A man had came in, snuck in with a club that on the end of the club was filled with sand and bits of lead to make it really heavy. Oh, and Rebecca was hit over the head. Her jaw was instantly broken and her forehead completely caved in. But Ooh. she was alive and her 11-year-old daughter was the one that was gone. <gasps> yeah. So th- he's changing things up again. They did find her out in the tool shed. If you want to read this, Nicole. I carried the light and Mr. Weed pushed the door of the outhouse open with the barrel of his gun. Jakeda would later say, we saw the girl lying on the floor, as I supposed, dead. Mary, however, was not dead. Not yet. Her eyes were partly open, dazed, peering up at the two men with no expression at all. Blood was trickling out of her ears and the blood bubbles coming out of her nose. All right. So what happened? Someone came in quietly and smashed the mother right over her head, grabbed Mary with one hand over her mouth what they were thinking so she wouldn't make a noise and carried her to the tool shed. Then he, all right, this is crazy. Remember when I said the first murder, the uh, the murderer had used the iron rod to go straight between the eyes and into mm-hmm. the brain? Yep. Okay. On this particular murder, he took that long iron rod that he carried with him. Like she's on her back, right? He takes her head and puts her left ear on the floor. Okay, so her right ear is up. Then he takes that iron rod and he jams it as hard as he can into the right ear and it goes through the brain. Then he turns her head and pulls out the iron rod, turns her head and does the other side as hard as he can. Basically, what he did was lobotomize her. He basically destroyed her brain with an iron rod and then, you know, he vanished after whatever he did. He's getting more cruel. (laughs) what he is yeah fuck yeah that's awful oh my goodness Uh, that's rough that's that's one of the most brutal tactics we've heard of the citizens are overcome with terror not now at the bold daring desperado in the open street but at sneaking midnight prowlers seeking opportunity to outrage the unprotected and to shed the blood of the innocent Saturday, September 27th, two black servant women who lived on Rio Grande Street saw a man at the door, quote, I'll kill you if you open your mouth. They scream and the man fled, which is just telling you girls, if you ever get in a situation, you just better open that mouth and start screaming. That's what I would do. Now, later, W.B. Dunham, which was a Texas court reporter, was sleeping when he heard a noise in his quarter house, which housed several servant women. Remember, they're all teaming up and staying together. Gracie Vance, who lived with her boyfriend, Orange Washington was his name, and Patsy Gibson and a Lucinda Bodie was stay, were all staying there. The homeowner heard a groan from outside, and Lucinda Bodie staggered out and met the homeowner at the door. Because they were attacked. And she says, quote, Mr. Durnham, we are all dead. Now, oh, shit. Remember, there are four people in that house. Patsy Gibson was barely breathing, blood oozing out of her skull. Orange Washington, the male that was there, he was struck dead with an axe. Ooh. Gracie 
Gracie was completely gone. Now, over the backyard fence, which is about a four feet high fence, and into the neighbor's yard, there was a small horse stable. That's where they're going to find Gracie's body. It's interesting. He's not taking his victims when he does take them very far at all. Yeah, I'm, so I, you I think would, he's just going to... So, so it's almost like he's doing this very quickly. So if there is any, you know, because people are hearing the noises or the screams, he t- manages to take one, possibly assaults them sexually before he vanishes. Yeah, so them. all the victims, and I'll get to this in the MO in a second, but all the victims were either half naked or fully naked, and their organs, basically their vaginas, were completely exposed. So go ahead, read that. She had been beaten viciously in the face that was mostly a mass of bone and skin and blood. Her head was somewhat off-center, as if knocked from its moorings. Her hair and her nightgown were smeared with blood. Beside her was a brick covered with blood and bits of her face. Ooh. What I forgot to mention earlier from the last two previous victims is they were wrapped up tight like a burrito in a bed sheet. Now, that's important because the killer wrapped them up in there. Now, this may or may not be true for this case, but the killer actually feels sympathetic and even ashamed or he wants to give them... I don't know, show some sort of compassion. So he goes the extra mile and wraps them up or whatever. In this case, there was a silver watch that was wrapped around her wrist. Now, remember, she is completely butchered, blood everywhere, but the watch was spotless of blood. So he actually, when he goes into the trunks, he usually grabs that white bed sheet. This time he grabbed a silver watch almost to to put on her like I mean, like as a memorial type of Strange. thing. Yeah. But that's interesting. That makes you question the motive then because silver, ba- I mean, silver now is worth a lot. I'm sure back then it was worth a lot too. Wouldn't you think that if he had access to that, he would, he would just take, take it, it and yeah. sell it? Both Lucinda and Patsy were hit in the head with a blunt object. Orange was hit twice in the head. Gracie had been hit at least 12 times in the face mm-hmm. with a brick, not even an axe, with a brick. The bone behind her nose was shattered and her whole entire face was pushed in like a crash test dummy. One reporter wrote in the newspaper describing how awful it looked as two words, quote, like jelly. Wow. Let me go over the MO right quick. The victims were most likely raped, you know, but no one knows for sure. Very odd and very brutal deaths. Okay, the victims were also decorated. That's what I said with the watch and the bed sheets. They were decorated almost either the killer felt compassion, you know, and we've seen cases like that before. Uh-huh. The Golden State Killer actually did that in a couple cases. Uh, Gracie's wristwatch was put on. Victims were also left in full view, kind of like the Black Dahlia, if you think about that. They were full view. I mean, they, they weren't hid or anything. Mm-hmm. It was just right out in the open. A lot of them in the yard, the backyard. A witness was left alive at pretty much each murder where there was a witness, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he didn't kill everyone. He just basically ran in there and got what he wanted. Okay, read this. This is from the Austin Daily Standard. The fact that this series of crimes is composed of some of the boldest, most startling flagrations in criminal annals that they have been, they have extended over a period of many months and that the perpetrator has so far not only accomplished his ends, but successfully escaped and blinded the police would seem to indicate that he is a criminal of no mean ability. 
but one of the most remarkable ghouls known to the death history of any section of the country. Now we're back to where we started, okay, with the sociolite death and the one lady after that, basically mm -hmm. the same type of murder. Now, there were two women killed that night, and between an entire year from basically Christmas to Christmas, he killed five women, one man, and brutally bashed many other ones in just a, you know, a crazy, crazy maniacal way, okay? And then he literally just stopped off the earth, nothing. No one has heard anything of him ever since, completely stopped. Do you okay. wonder if he was put in jail for something else? Well, maybe, but he did, well, maybe he did kill this one. I don't know. I put this one in here because two years later, there was another similar murder. And I don't know if it's attributed to him or a copycat or something else. Hmm. But I'm just going to go over it real quick. But from what they know, the murders that I've already talked about were attributed to him. I'm not sure if this one is or not, but I thought I'd throw it in here as a bonus. Uh, the Weekly Standard. This is from 15th of September, 1888. So about two years later in some months, two years and some change. This woman, her name was Mary Ann Nichols. Now, quote, her head was almost severed from her body mm. and was completely disemboweled. Mm. Okay, one witness said that she was lying close to the wall. Her head was actually touching the wall. Her throat was slit open and other wounds that he said were too shocking to describe. And one more for you. This is from another paper, The Standard. The inquest as to the death of Mary Ann Nichols, whose shockingly mutilated body was found in a gateway in Whitechapel. Now, that is from the standard London. That is Jack the Ripper's first murder. Okay. A lot of people think this guy crossed the pond huh. and started as Jack the Ripper. Interesting. Hmm. Mary Ann Nichols was the first victim of Jack the Ripper, and it happened about two years later in London. And it was... It, it started out brutal, which makes me think that he trained over here in Austin. And now when he gets to London, if it's really him, who knows? No one has ever known. But the Jack the Ripper crimes were just horrendous, way, way worse than these. Servant Girl was because I, I'm pretty sure this, it's the Servant Girl because they're easier to kill and, you know, they're less thought of as prominent society members. So he could literally practice on them. Right. Then he gets to London two years later, and look what he's doing. He basically mutilates a body. And one of his victims, he displayed all the organs in a store window pane. I don't know if y'all know how much you guys know mm -hmm. about the Jack the Ripper mm. cases. I don't know. I still think it's a bit of a stretch that it could be the same person. Why? Because I, I think Jack it's just. Sorry. I think it's just as likely that... The murder stopped because, one, he killed a white woman and kind of scared himself silly. And was like, you know oh, these shit. murders never stop. Well, I'm just saying. I mean, occasionally or, they do, but if you're a killer, or, most likely, like 90% of the time, you're going to keep killing. Or he was put in prison for something else. I mean, for someone in Austin to go, like, there's so many murderers out there. I don't think it's this guy. Very gruesome. Sad. Thank you, Cassie, for requesting that one. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button on whatever podcasting app you use. If you like this story, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're absolutely obsessed with this podcast and want to become our servant, go to talkmer.com slash join, become a Talkos Primo. Get a badass t-shirt, sticker, swag, a lot of love, shout it out all over the place. Tell me what story you want me to do. I'll research it, dedicate it to you on the Talk Murder Me podcast. My name is John, here with Jen and Nicole, and until next time. Take your little silk shirt off. 
You know Stone Cold can take care of business right here, right now. Oh no! Wow! What a volatile situation!